Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by a colleague who I have known for a very long time, and that is Melissa Madian. Before I welcome her, I just want to give you a little bit of background. So Melissa was at Eloqua way before Oracle's acquisition going back. I think you joined there in 2005, but it was right around the 2006-2007 timeframe that we got to know each other. I used to be an Eloqua client when I ran marketing at Ellie Mae. Some of you know that. But then in 2007, I launched DemandGen to go help people with the use and adoption of marketing technology. And as the business got off the ground, we started helping more and more of Eloqua clients. Melissa and I got to know each other quite a bit. And her role evolved from the client services and solutions consulting team to around 2010 time, as a senior director of Worldwide Field Enablement. So as we caught up over the past year and talked about the podcast, many of you had suggested that it would be great to get more content around sales process and sales enablement. So no one better than Melissa Madian to help answer my questions and give you guys lots of insights. And that is why she is here today. So Melissa, thank you for joining. Hi, Dave. Greetings from sunny Toronto, Canada. Must be nice to be sunny up there because it's not always sunny. Uh, uh, no, in fact, we had this crazy rainstorm yesterday. The the CN Tower must have got hit like a bajillion times by lightning, so it was quite impressive to watch. But now we've got sun. The little tulips are starting to poke out of the garden. It actually feels like uh, winter is not coming anymore. It feels like spring again. <laughs> Well, talk about winter is coming. Uh, it winter has came, and it, it's the final season of Game of Thrones. And I know you're a Game of Thrones fan as well. What'd you What'd you think of episode one? Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. I practically screamed when Arya, who's one of my favorite characters, uh, finally saw Gendry again, and I, I like screamed at the TV. I was so excited and so happy. So it was it was a great episode, a great setup for this final season. I'm, I'm super stoked. It was a it was a cool reunion. We can't give any more spoilers, but I w- and I won't give any spoilers, so you don't have to turn off the podcast <laughs> right now. I uh, would just wonder how many people are doing what we're doing at the Lewis household because we had it was soft tacos night. It was a big dining night and we had all the food that we prepped out. It was it almost felt like the Super Bowl where it was a really big evening event. And everybody was getting their stuff done and we all sat down on the couch. And just got ready and, and loved that they had actual five-minute countdown or something like that as HBO got ready for it. But uh, was anything special going on in your home, or are we just little freaks over no, here? No, no. We're, we're, well, it's either we're just as nerdy as you guys, or this is a thing, because we also had you know full spread. We were hunkered down on the couch, curled up under our blanket, and ready to go. We've got friends already talking about doing Game of Thrones viewing parties as, as we get closer and closer to the, the series finale. So, uh, so yeah, it's a thing. It's a phenomenon. Nice. Well, let's just jump in because we got a lot to cover today. So Melissa and I, when we reconnected, it was at a uh, annual sales kickoff for the Adobe team. And she was there uh, working her magic, helping to facilitate the meeting, uh, but also helping to facilitate some training for the team. So I said, you know, let's do a podcast together and talk about some of the things that you're super passionate about. And how about we start with with process? Because I think everything starts with process. But actually, let's back up one step before that. Because you ran field enablement. What 
type of company, what size company has someone dedicated to field enablement and training and what type of company doesn't? So let's start there with like, when, when is it ready for, you know, someone to bring someone on board, whether that's through a consultant like you or hiring someone full time? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that um, it, it de- I'm going to give the, the ubiquitous consulting answer, which is it depends. Uh, it depends on size of your organization. It depends on what your sales team looks like. So I, I always look at what is important for your organization, what's important for the executive leaders of the organization as far as empowering your sales organization, and are you running a fairly complex sales cycle? So if you're selling toothpaste, you probably don't need somebody in enablement, enabling your sales organization on selling toothpaste as a, as a, an example. So typically the, the size of companies that I work with are anywhere from five sellers to 500 or a thousand sellers selling to direct or selling through channel. Um, and what's common through all of those, those clients is, uh, a complex sales cycle, or at least a, a considered purchase sales cycle. Yeah. And uh, the the executive cares about getting their new hires up to speed very quickly. And uh, for their in-seat reps, making sure that their knowledge, their skills, uh, and their, their behaviors to the sales process are all upskilled and kept current and, um, and, and that they want to make sure that those folks are super successful. So that's sort of the common thread throughout all the, the clients that I work with. The, the super short answer is uh, if you have a sales organization and you want to make them more efficient, you should have somebody who cares about enablement, whether that's hiring a third-party consultant or actually hiring somebody full-time to, to care about the, the care and maintenance of your sales organization. And that's why I wanted to have you um, on the program because you know if you are a marketer, I'm just going to put two two camps, the the marketing group and the sales group, listening in on this podcast, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've always strived to do on the podcast is bring the other camp's perspective or role and responsibilities or even challenges. And so from a marketing perspective, it does get really frustrating on the marketing side when you feel like your sales team is not following up on the demand that you generate or not following up on the right way or on a timely process or they're not on point with their messaging. They don't understand or haven't been well-trained on carrying forward the messaging. Just this morning, one of the sellers on my team, Debbie, shout out to Debbie Fisher, I did a keynote in Arizona and we had uh, that keynote. There must have been like a 1,000 people that attended it and I made an offer to everyone there that if you wanted a copy of our poster or the images for our demand factory uh, that we would get them out. And so we did a do a follow-up campaign and sent that. And anybody who raised their hand, I'm saying follow-up on that campaign, you know, Debbie has visibility into that in the CRM. But she didn't quite know what her engagement should be, what the follow-up is, if anything, for her of those campaign members, right? So sometimes there's just a lack of communication between sales and marketing around what a process should be following up on a particular campaign or in the macro perspective, right? As marketing is generating demand and generating M- MQLs, marketing qualified leads, and handing those to sales through the CRM, who receives those? What should be their follow up? And mm-hmm. and so there's just you know that that either gray or just dark area around the overall process from click to close, and then certainly as you know, there's just 
you know, the better that sales is at what they do, the more efficient they are, the less data entry that they're doing, all of those things can improve performance. So again, thanks for being on the program. Yeah. Let's talk about process because I would love to get your perspective, you know, from the sales camp. Um, why isn't there well-defined processes and processes uh, adhered to in that work? Why isn't that if a company is selling and has a sales team, why haven't they figured this out and, and do it really well? Yeah, it's 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 so funny, and and there was something um, you said there that it's it just it took me it, it took me back, but it took me back to the eloquent old days when um, uh, when when marketing was it marketing is from Venus and sales is from Mars, and, oh, and yeah. we're talking back in you know 2005 when demand generation was and marketing automation was in its, its its infancy, and you think like that was 2005, and now we're here. 2019 and there still is this massive disconnect between marketing and sales. And it's, it's sort of interesting because with all technology and tools and, um, and sort of the, the general knowledge of the need to have marketing automation and, and the need to have this aligned marketing and sales funnel, yet you still have these two very different camps or these two different silos. And I think a lot of that is because of, of a lack of process. Right. If you if the two sides don't know what to do and when to do it, then you've got this gap between what marketing generates and the message that's created, and and what what sales uh, has to say. And and I've I've got one client uh, that I'm well I've got several clients that I'm working with, but one comes to mind where marketing is generating all this great stuff, and and they think sales is just a bunch of slack jawed yokels and um, I, I I have to sort of step in as a third party observer and go, well, sales aren't a bunch of slack-jawed yokels. It, it's actually just, they don't know, um, to your point, Dave, they don't know what to use and when to use it and what they should say and at what stage they should say it. And they're just provided with all this stuff and they're left to their own devices to figure it out. And uh, sellers are running so hot because they're trying to generate pipeline and they're, they're trying to get people on the phone and they're, they're, they're having conversations and they're doing presentations and they're, they're managing their deals all the way through the cycle and they're doing negotiations and they're trying to deal with legal. So if you're also asking them to just figure out where to use the, the content or the messaging at whatever stage they need it in, they're just not going to do it because they've got, you know, a bajillion other things they got to figure out, which is mostly trying to close a lot of business yeah. because they have a quota to hit. And Rob and I, uh, Rob Bonham, who I mentioned earlier, he and I are doing a series within the podcast that we're calling Smarketing, and we just recorded uh, our second episode. And we're doing that because I want to get the conversation consistent about sales and marketing. And it's funny that you mentioned the old men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and the sales and marketing uh, parallel to that. When you were just speaking right now, I want to say to everybody, let's just accept that these departments are culturally different, their responsibilities are different, how they work is different, how they think is different, and let's not try to change anybody. Um, that's the success of any relationship, right? If, maybe I need to turn Demand Gen Radio into a little bit of a therapy session. In fact, if any of you out there <laughs> want to come on with your head of sales, if you are, or in the head of marketing, and let's do a session together, what a great conversation that would be. So reach out to me. But, you know, it's like, can't we all get along? We have to respect each other's differences and the roles and responsibilities. Uh, marketing is, you know, there's so many sales technology tools like we talked about, and we're going to get into that. You know, if you just dump these tool sets 
on sales and expect them to go use this video tool or this social outreach tool or this um, mm-hmm. you know tool for engagement or monitoring, they got a day job. They don't have time necessarily to fit these tools in unless it aligns with them, as you said, improving their pipeline management and closing deals because sales gets paid based on the business that they close. And that's always where their focus is, is going to be. So what do you do? Um, what do you do, Melissa, if it, you come in as a consultant and you t- t- walk me through the process of, of how you do discovery and figure out where the, the problems are and how, how you help sort that out? Sure. So, so actually it's, it's great that, um, uh, that you mentioned, you know, marketing and sales, they're two very different functions and that's okay. So I, I 100% agree with you. It's it marketing's got their, their focus and sales has their focus. Yeah. Uh, the key is there needs to be a, a, a bridge between the two. There needs to be a really strong handshake between these two. And, um, and that's where enablement can really help an organization, whether it's a, a consultant like myself that comes in and, and, and assesses or whether it's you, you determine that you have to have, because of the size of your organization, a full-time employee dedicated to enablement. And what's interesting about enablement is because the function is designed to help the sales organization with process, with tools, with the training that they need, the content that they need, it, it can provide a lot of that content, a lot of those that those tools come from marketing. So it's a really great bridge between the two. So I typically come in and assess, uh, sit down and go, okay, talk to me about what your sales process looks like. What does your lead flow process look like when, when a salesperson gets a lead or are they having to generate leads on their own? And then walk me through what that journey looks like from the point when sales is engaged either through marketing or, or through their own uh, initiative through to close. And uh, the thing that I find a lot of folks have is they have a process, they have sales stages, they are using a CRM to manage opportunities through the funnel, typically through through the process of working with customers. They, they have a uh, process for managing opportunities, but they don't have a truly buyer-centric process to manage the buyer through the opportunity. So to actually engage the buyer at every stage of the journey. And, and I'll give an example. I have one client, they have got every single stage identified in their Salesforce instance. They have activities. They even have, um, they're using a medic sales process, which is pretty common in sales terminology. You know, do you have, does the buyer have metrics and all that sort of stuff? What, but when you take a look at their sales process, they're not actually considering what the buyer is doing at each of those stages. So one question I ask is, well, what's, what questions are your buyer is your buyer asking at this stage? And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, you, you do realize that in a sales process, it's not just the seller that's involved. There's actually a buyer on the other end who can make a decision whether or not to purchase or not purchase your product. And, um, and what we found is through that process there were, there was a very specific stage where deals were just getting stuck. And what I said to them was the reason why your deals are getting stuck is your seller has moved their opportunity to this stage of the process, but your buyer is three stages back wondering why do they even need to change what they're doing at all? And and not even going with you guys, just why do they got to change what they're doing? They'll just stay in status quo. So, um, that's typically when I come in, it's like, let's really take a look at what's happening with your buyer throughout their journey. And does your sales process match that? When you do engage 
and get into these environments. What would you say in general is the sentiment feeling by a team in terms of change? Because I've been the keynote, in fact, that I did at BDBMX was called Agents of Change. And then, let's face it, people don't like change. Some people embrace change, but most people have a fear of change. Uh, when you're changing or, or asking a sales team to change their processes, whether that's the use of a tool or just how they work their pipe, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you get them bought in and and see the benefit of what might feel to them like more steps, taking more time, things that are just getting in the way of what they perceive to be their own productivity? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, 100% agree with you that nobody wants change. And and most folks, particularly sales organizations, don't even like process, really. Like, process is a dirty word for most salespeople, sales organizations. Like, ah, I just run my deal through the process, and I know what I, I need, and I know exactly what, how to sell and, how to, and, and what to sell and how to sell it. Uh, but in reality, even those who are quote-unquote cowboy sellers uh, are following some sort of process. So the the key is um, you, you don't introduce process for the sake of process. You introduce process in order to create efficiency and to actually streamline the 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 sale from start to close. So if you're introducing process and it's actually creating more steps, or it's creating more content, or it's creating more things for a seller to do, then you're, you probably don't have the right process in place. Yeah. And um, I, I remember this from when we switched, when, when I went through the Eloqua, uh, the acquisition of Eloqua by Oracle, and just the, the interesting change of what happened between how Eloqua ran its sales process and then how Oracle runs its sales process was quite dramatic. And, um, you know, Oracle is a massive, you know, 150,000 person organization. Of course, it's going to be different than a 400 person organization. But what was interesting is uh, how sellers sold. Uh, some of our most successful salespeople at Eloqua really struggled selling at Oracle. It's not like the seller changed and the, the products that we were selling didn't change, the process changed. Mm-hmm. And because there were so many additional legal steps that were involved, um, they really struggled with that that process. So I always take a look. I, I'm a mechanical engineer by background, and I always take a look at process as... I did not know that. Yeah, I'm a mechanical engineer, and, and a lot of what I do now is sort of mechanical engineering of the sales process, yeah. which is you want to create something that's actually going to increase the velocity of your opportunities through the funnel. You want to decrease the amount of activities that a salesperson has to do with the end goal of streamlining the sales process so that sellers feel like the process actually serves how they operate and also serves the buyer as well. So the buyer feels like, wow, you made it really easy and compelling for me to buy from you. And that's how I approach every process. Yeah. When I worked for, I I didn't know that and explains a lot about, um, your persona, uh, having that context of, of mechanical engineering and, and your passion for process and looking at the steps. Mm-hmm. Here's an important point that you brought up, key, key point. I've often said, whether our team's consulting for clients or here on the podcast, that you have to walk in the shoes of your teammates. So if you're in marketing, oh, yeah. go on ride-alongs, uh, on sales calls, literally the ones where people go visit people still certainly shadow and sit in on calls and hear what happens. And as importantly, 
watch what it takes for a sales rep, whether that's an SDR or a sales rep, uh, using a CRM and the number of clicks and choices they have to make to move a lead to a contact, I'm using Salesforce terms, um, Mm -hmm. for the lead to contact, create an account, the drop-down menus, creating an opportunity, literally find a seller and have them walk you through that process. Because I can tell you, back in the day when I sold for Microsoft and was part of the U.S. Sales and Marketing Division to introduce Word and Excel, we were selling against how many keystrokes it took in WordPerfect or Lotus 1 to 3 to make things either italic or formatted. So if companies like Lockheed and Boeing and McDonnell Douglas and MGM, all the companies that we used to go and do these demo days and sell to, were changing platforms because of the reduced number of keystrokes it would take for them to create documents and output that, why are we not taking the same type of rigor and looking at how much work is on a seller inside of a CRM or even a sales enablement tool. So do that because otherwise what happens is, right, the the other side goes, we need to add a new field on the opportunity object to capture this. And then a field is added and maybe there's a pick list and a set of dropdown. But if you're not auditing the use of the CRM and actually less is more, then you're creating clicks and you're creating steps and you're creating thought processes and you're actually slowing down and making the sales process more efficient, even though you think that that is a meaningful thing for you to be doing. What are your thoughts on that, Melissa? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 if I look at the process purely mathematically, um, you, what you're doing is you're adding clicks, you're adding time. And time is actually a constant. <laughs> so time is not a variable in a selling situation. You only have a certain amount of hours that you can viably sell in a given day. And there are, there are certain things that just take up time. So if you know that your, your, the number of hours that you have to sell in a day is a constant, you can actually subtract how much time it takes you to do things and then figure out, okay, I only actually have, you know, three viable hours in a given day. If I work a 12-hour day, as an example, I only have three viable hours in a given day. If I if I subtract, you know, meetings and uh, lunch and you know bathroom breaks and that sort of thing out of that, I only have like three hours in a given day that I can actually sell. How am I maximizing that time to actually move my deals through my pipeline? Yeah. Um, and 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 you should approach every process that way. Like, what's my time is my constant. So, what are the variables I can work with to make this process more efficient? Yeah. I know every marketing operations person listening to this podcast. If if my advice to you about shadowing doesn't really resonate, please think about it. And and maybe it's recording and not sitting at their desk, right? fire up whatever screen sharing software you're using and click the record button and ask a rep to walk you through their day in the life and break it into segments. What do they do in the lead record? Watch them scroll. Watch them look for the lead score. Watch them look for the activity section. See how lost they are in that layout, in the contact layout. The amount of consulting and, and systems work that we do cleaning up Salesforce is growing every single year and we're coming into our client's oh, yeah. environment and just, you know, removing all the clutter that's been added over time uh, because it, it gets there. So so don't use it as an, don't find an excuse to not do the due diligence because it's one way to improve the process is to take out the noise and clutter that has been created in the systems. Let, let's talk about systems and tools, Melissa, because you have a pretty short list 
of your essential ingredients, um, you know, even beyond the CRM, what are you seeing as common uh, tool sets that are adding value? Not not ones that are taking away, but what what's your short list of, of tools that you're seeing sellers use today that are helping them be more effective and more efficient in their process? Yeah, so any anyone listening now that sells a sales tool is, is probably going to be upset with me because there are so many sales tools out there and the sales team really only needs a few to make themselves efficient. Um, and, and, and again, I, time is the constant, so they only have so many hours in a day to work. Anything, any tool that's added should, should help them uh, maximize the amount of time they have to sell. So in addition to CRM, which is like table stakes, um, uh, social media tools. So even if it's the free stuff like Twitter and LinkedIn, um, if you want to make the investment into something like a LinkedIn sales navigator, I've got sales teams that use it quite successfully because it allows you to, to see how many folks you're connected to and how many your network's connected to and allow you to um, to make informed social exchanges instead of just blasting people on LinkedIn. Call uh, recording software. I'm a big fan to things like gongs and um, and choruses and that sort of thing, where it allows you as a sales manager, uh, as a marketer who is interested in hearing how sales calls are going and how sellers are positioning your, your platform or your product, uh, and also sales enablement folks who are interested in coaching and, and providing feedback to your sales organization. Those are great because it eliminates the, oh, I'm just going to physically shadow along with folks or please somebody invite me to one of your calls. It eliminates all of that. You can just pop on offline, listen to, to the call recordings and, and hear how folks are doing. I'm glad you brought um, up call recording Yeah. because, sorry to jump in, because it kind of comes back to what I was saying about screen recording for CRM, right? If somebody, if you screen recorded a few hours of CRM usage and went back and looked at the recording and see how taxing the system has become, I think the poetic thing you said was only add sales enablement tools that improve the efficiency of the selling process. Double underscored bold, because that is not often the case, right? That there are lots of shiny new toys out there where people have to build custom this and custom that, and uh, it's just adding more time to the sales cycle. And talk about change, resistant to change, unless there is a definitive ROI that adding more time and doing more things for a seller is going to help them win more and win faster, it's going to be a pretty tough putt to get them on board and using it with any regularity or consistency across the sales arc. So you hit um, social tools like Sales Navigator. We'll come back to that. Uh, Cadence tools like Outreach, Sales Loft, things like that, and call recording technology. On Sales Navigator, uh, you know, I, I know the platform well. In fact, I've had the team from LinkedIn on the podcast earlier episodes uh, talking about it. With Sales Navigator, where, from your coaching perspective, what is it that they're looking to solve or address from using a tool like that? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, first I will say only use LinkedIn Navigation and, or, or just LinkedIn Free uh, if that's where your customers are. So um, a, a couple of companies that I've worked with, they, they just sort of like, oh, should I buy this thing? And it's like, well, are your customers on LinkedIn and are they doing social stuff? Because if you're selling to, uh, you know, uh, construction company, if you're selling flooring solutions to construction companies, probably your, your buyer isn't on social media that much as yeah. an example. That's so a broad, broad stroke yeah. term, but you know, see where your customer is. Um, so if they are pretty active on social media, 
what I what I found using LinkedIn Sales Navigator myself at previous companies and then clients that have used it, it it allows you those connections outside of your connections. So those third, uh, those second and third connections that you may not necessarily have access to, uh, it it allows you to to gain that broader. Uh, gain access into that broader network because people buy from people and um, social media and LinkedIn is a great way to connect with people in a personalized way. Uh, But if you're just sending a request on LinkedIn without any kind of personalized context around it, then you're probably not going to get a response. So I find that that uh, usage of LinkedIn Navigator really helps providing context into the connection. Yeah, and I'm on board with you, which is don't run out necessarily and go buy and subscribe to a bunch of licenses and incur costs. If you are even going to uh-huh. consider using outside of the free platform, if you're going to consider using Sales Navigator with your sales team, my goodness, pilot it um, with some folks and oh, yeah. make sure that there is passion and adoption and value for it because you can incur a lot of licensing fees, recurring licensing fees, and see very little mm-hmm. adoption. That is not a tool that is set it and forget it. That is a tool that requires no. constant um, yeah. diligence and responsibility. Now, I will, I will say just to add to that, I will say LinkedIn has uh, great training around that. And, they do. And if it, I, I agree. Like the set it and forget it's not going to work if you decide because it makes sense for your social media selling strategy to purchase a LinkedIn sales navigator, definitely take advantage of their training because they've got lots of it. They've got a great account management team that helps you with adoption. So um, definitely don't feel like you got to do it all on your own. They've, they've got a lot of great support around it. I'm, I'm still surprised how many people, if you're listening and you're not updating your LinkedIn profile and you're not publishing content and being active, it is time. It, you know, is it for everyone? Maybe I'm being too, it's for everybody. Maybe it's not. However, if in many ways, this is, this is going to sound bad because I'm not a huge Facebook fan. I was going to say like Facebook <laughs> is to community and friends what LinkedIn is to business. And I just, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to downgrade if, if people don't, if they're not fans of Facebook uh, to, to associate that way. The reason I like LinkedIn well beyond you know, recruiting and hiring, you know, type of stuff. It used to be like your online resume, but so much valuable mm-hmm. information that you can exchange and learn about your prospects and companies and have conversations and connect there outside of email. And, uh, you know, the people who do it really right and truly want to build relationships and rapport with other people and not just connect and then, hey, let me sell you something. You know, that's that's just bad behavior. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. And I... I- I have a great example of that. I just, you, just when you're talking about it, it reminded me. Um, I post fairly regularly, so everyone listening, feel free to to connect with me on on LinkedIn. It's at Melissa Madian, uh, and I was at a. I post fairly regularly on topics of sales enablement and marketing, and sales alignment, and and uh, sales efficiency and process. And I was at a Forrester conference, and uh, someone from behind me said, uh, like, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Excuse me, are are you Melissa Madian?" And I turn around, and I'm like, yes. And he's like, oh, my God, I follow you on LinkedIn. I'm such a huge fan. <laughs> we started talking. And I was like, what a crazy, like, out of all the the, the people, uh, just randomly I sat in front of this guy at a conference of, you know, a thousand or so people and in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, and here is because of LinkedIn and because of that social media uh, presence he and I connected in person and it was, it was really cool. And I was like, wow, I've got a fan. Yay. <laughs> my, my one fan. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's nice when you connect with the community. It's one of the reasons that I reach out to all of you and ask you guys, let me know when you're listening to the podcast, which I see the numbers. I, Melissa, holy cow. Last month to this month, we more than doubled our listeners, and I'm in the thousands of listeners, so like doubling at that level awesome. is crazy. It is awesome, and I'm, I'm excited that so many people are tuning in for the content, and I feel a great sense of responsibility on, on delivering quality content. And I will say at this moment, if you're looking for a commercial break and want to come back to this, if you finished your workout or dog walk or just got to the office, now's a good time to pause and come back because I would like, Melissa, for us to hit two more topics around. One is around onboarding new reps, some advice and guidance you have there, getting new reps up to speed and how much process needs to be around that. And then I want to wrap up with talking about messaging and how marketing and sales can and should work together to help reps get uh, more effective in their messaging, whether that's verbally or in online demos or in email. So can we jump into onboarding? We can. Let's do it. What is the effective way to make a seller get up to speed quickly and get them productive? So uh, I will tell you the wrong way, and then I'll tell you the right way. The wrong way, which which is uh, pretty common, it certainly was common in my my first sales job and, and several sales jobs after that, is here's all of our info. Here's a bunch of people. Let's parade you through a boot camp and parade a bunch of folks from different departments in front of you, and by the end of that two or three or four day boot camp, you should have been exposed to absolutely everybody. And then here's our online wiki or our portal. Go find whatever you need there and shadow a bunch of folks, and then we just expect you to be productive. And that just doesn't work. It's just like you said. Here's <laughs> here. Don't leave a voicemail that says, "Hi, this is Dave. Thank you for calling. Please leave your number, number. I'll call you back." I think you just described the yeah. process like every company certainly does or way too many companies <laughs> yeah. do okay so so way, what you're yeah, doing way, doesn't way work too many do. <laughs> yeah no. fire hosing them <laughs> with not. learning about every department and every piece of content and every function that you yeah. have is not so what do you do yeah it's it's like i i look at uh, onboarding your sales reps like um teaching them how to play an instrument so uh, play an instrument or learn a new um learn a new uh concerto uh, you know, if you're an SDR, maybe you've never sold before, or sorry, sales development rep, maybe you've never sold before, and you need to be taught how to play the piano before you can play the company's music. Uh, if you're an established rep, you probably don't need to learn how to play piano anymore, but you do need to learn how to play the company's music. So like any musical instrument, you have to learn your skills, you got to learn the sheet music, uh, you got to absorb the material, but then you got to practice, and you got to practice a lot. Because you, if you don't practice a lot, you don't play a really great piece of music. And then you actually are, somebody watches you, a piano teacher watches you, and, and then says, yep, you're actually ready to, to play at our uh, piano recital. And, and now you can go play at the piano recital. I look at sales onboarding very similarly. Uh, you have to teach the reps the basics of who you are and why are you there and, and what their role looks like and what are the products and services that you sell. But then you also have to give them the opportunity to practice just like you would practice piano, have them practice the pitch, have them practice uh, the, the sales deck, have them practice the messaging, have them practice doing a demo and then actually have folks, whether it be somebody in sales enablement or the managers or designated subject matter experts that can, you, you say that are the certifiers have them certify the folks on, yep, you're actually ready for the recital in front of the customer. 
Um, and you do that over the course of time. So I look at sales onboarding as uh, a need-to-know basis, and you deliver the information to the reps, the new reps, just when they need to know it. So in the first week, they just need to know what's the company all about, what's the basic value prop, and where the washrooms are. That's, that's really like, where's the coffee, where do I go get lunch, the basics. By the time you hit week two, it's what's the true value? Why do customers buy from us? Uh, what's the positioning look like? And then you just build from there. So you wouldn't want to train folks on legal and contracting in a boot camp in their first or second week on the job because it's entirely out of context. Wait until they're in their fifth week on the job and start to uh, weave in that kind of training so that it's actually when they need to know it. Um, and so I, I find that leveraging that kind of process allows the rep to learn as they need to know it, but also allows them to practice with their peers, get feedback, and actually be um, you know, recital ready by the time they're picking up the phone and calling a customer. Makes sense. It also supports things that you've shared with me around the lack of the why, right? That reps often mm -hmm. know the how and the what because they receive so much mm -hmm. product training and learn how to demo something, but they don't understand the why. And you should always right, start with the why. So if onboarding someone in the first week on a need-to-know basis is, why is our company's mission what it is? And what are the problems at a high level that we solve for clients? I mean, how, do, how does that tie to the messaging challenges that you see, where messaging challenges where reps really struggle to, to understand that why? How do you address it as part of the onboarding and, and training to help get that messaging on point? Yeah, I find that a lot of the clients, a lot of clients I work with are, are software and service companies. So they're product focused. They started with product. And the challenge with that is um, if it, you might have a great product, but if you don't fundamentally understand why people are using your product and the value they're getting out of it, uh, all you're selling are features and functions. And as we talked about earlier, there are a lot of tools out there, a lot of products out there. How do you differentiate your product from anyone else's? And, and the way you differentiate is the why. Why are people using you? Um, one thing I hear a lot from clients is how we need to give our reps, certainly in their, their first two weeks on the job and as part of their onboarding, we need to give them a lot of industry training. And when you actually unpack what that means, it's not necessarily training on the industry, which, which yes, you probably need to have some context around the industries that you're selling into. Really what it boils down to is what is going on in the head of the customer and why does that customer want to use us to solve a problem that they have? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really the driving factor when I hear I need industry training. It's actually, what, why does that customer use it? Like, how does that customer even use us? And um, I remember way, 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 way back at Eloqua, we actually sat down and did an analysis of our customer usage. We had a lot of customer usage data and found out what's the common reasons why people actually, why do customers actually use us? And, and we were actually able to tease out sales plays from that. Yeah. And, uh, and we would just go in and sell on those sales plays because that's why people bought from us. That's why people use us. And that's why people got value out of us. The mission of our company from the day I started, very first slide, uh, has always been about making marketing heroes. That's our mission. That's our why. And it's, you know, it's written that way with intent in that making marketing heroes is talking about making the department heroes. Making marketing heroes is the emphasis on the individual. And I often train people as part of their onboarding 
around the mind of our customer, how much challenging, how challenging it is for marketing to show its impact on revenue. And that even though we're helping everybody with the processes and the methods and the technologies for driving growth and working with sales and marketing departments, at the end of the day, the whole mission is to make our clients heroes. And I take them through what that looks like. What does it feel like to be a hero? What does it look like to be a hero? Because that's what we're driving for uh, and helping them. I think it's one of the reasons that, that we've been successful. You know, we don't, we don't introduce ourselves. Hi, we're from Demand Gen, and our mission is to make you a hero. Like, <laughs> but it's, it's the, it is the mission of the company. It's, it's behind what makes all of us tick every day in terms of how we delight our clients and help and, and support them. And uh, we do train it in, in the first couple days, but I'm going to be very transparent and, and share that I, I do think we fire hose our new employees way too much in the first week and try to just throw everything at them so we can go, okay, we've onboarded that person, who's next? And so we, I yeah. need to follow, I need to practice what you're preaching, which is to move to a need-to-know basis. I, I like it. Thank you, Melissa, for, for coming on and sharing those insights. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and it's been great to catch up. It's interesting to see you in the Adobe slash Marketo community, given your background, and probably not surprising I know. that you've seen us as well. <laughs> uh, certainly helping people in, in all the different markets, because the landscape has, has changed and is forever changing, but the methods and technologies, although the technologies are changing, some of the tried and true methods of driving growth, um, it's more adaption to digital and other areas so i'm i'm sure you are busy this is the season right now that everybody is changing to lightning uh who who's been the holdouts or a lot of people changing there and i know that 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 mm-hmm. that is that's causing a lot of angst for our clients and we're helping them uh sort sort through that uh anything we missed i i will say i i will add it's it's uh it has been exciting to see the the marketing landscape change since you know from 2005 to now, so to, to see all of the players, you know, the now the Marketos and, and Adobe's, uh, you know, Eloqua, Oracles, it's um, it's good to see the 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 marketing and sales organizations starting to come together in a little bit more alignment, I guess, <laughs> through through the sort of the forcing function of using these tools. But uh, we're still not perfect. We got a, we got a bit of a way to go. For sure. Well, I'm glad you put your contact info out there. If anyone missed that or um, want to hear it again, Melissa Maddian, uh, one L, two S's, Melissa Maddian, M-A-D-I-A-N, you know, boutique agency. Um, if you're fortunate enough to work with her and need her services for sales process and coaching, she's worked for some of our clients and certainly for some of our partners. Uh, feel free to reach out to her either to continue the conversation or maybe she can help you out. And Melissa, uh, thank you always for all the support that you provide and, and recommending us and introducing us to, to your clients who seem to uh, get caught in batch and blast mode or not necessarily using the tools and technologies to their full capability, which you know all too well uh, what success looks like and when they're not there. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. For all of you tuning in, thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully some thought-provoking ideas. Maybe think about going back and recording some CRM usage, taking a look at the sales enablement tool usage. Take a look at how you're onboarding new reps. Have marketing sit in some of the onboarding that you do for new reps and training so they can understand the differences and respect the differences between sales and marketing and vice versa. Have your sales reps sit in some of the marketing onboarding. Might be very, very helpful uh, to just get the teams better working together 
and appreciate uh, maybe some of the friction. I don't mean emotional friction, but just some of the friction, the the steps and processes that have put in place that are creating a lack of efficiency of your sales team. So take action on some of these things, and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.